This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. Stream is an expert interview transcript library with more than 10,000 interviews spanning across all industries, including tech, media, consumer goods, and plenty more. Not to mention 70% of these experts can be found only exclusively on Stream. Thanks to many of the interviews that I've read on Stream, I feel like I've gained a much more intimate understanding of the companies that I cover. And at this point, it has become an integral piece of my research process. So if you want to check out some of their transcripts, transcripts for yourself, you can go to streamrg.co slash CCM and sign up for a free 14-day trial using the promo code CCM. Again, that's streamrg.co slash CCM, S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot C-O slash CCM. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive interview where we interview an analyst on a single stock. And today we are talking with Jim Gillies, four-time guest, uh, pretty much a recurring guest at this point. And we're talking about Winmark. He always brings very unique companies and they are some that we've ended up owning later on, uh, some of the companies he's pitched previously. So, uh, it's, it's always fun to listen to him and hear the stocks that he's talking about. And today we've got a pretty unique retail concept. Do you have any highlights from the interview? Yeah. You mentioned it was Winmark. Um, for anyone referencing, they had played against sports, which people might know about, but a lot of unique secondhand concepts. And I just thought the discussion around the combination of people with a good history of capital allocation management you can trust and then a high margin business that is recession proof ish was very you know enticing for a for a stock yeah it's it's a it's a good example uh, to look at for capital allocation history and to see what good management teams where they spend money and how they return it to shareholders but we'll let Jim talk about that more so without further ado here's your interview with Jim Gillies. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. Today we are joined by, we talked about it before we hit record, I think fourth time guest now. The previous episodes have been Nelnet, uh, International Petroleum, and RCI Hospitality. So if, if you want to, if you enjoy this one, you want to listen to more, there's plenty in the catalog. Uh, but today we are talking about Winmark. So Jim, welcome to the show. How did you even find Winmark as an investment? Uh, that's a good question, Ryan. Yeah, I've uh, I found Winmark 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. uh, and I bought it as soon as I found it. Uh, so I have been a shareholder. I th- I'm gonna go 2009. Let's just put the we'll put the pin in there. Uh, I bought it as soon as I found it. It was one of the best stories I ever came across, and. Uh, um, Including dividend, just just to just to set the bar, you know, right out of the gate, um, because you mentioned those other three names that I've talked about uh, on the show previously. Uh, two of the three have been pretty decent returns, and uh, one still okay. 
Uh, but you know, two of the three kind of eclipsed it. But I think this one as well. I think you're gonna like this one. Um, uh, I when I bought it in 2009, I've, I'm just looking at my spreadsheet here. My annualized return since purchase, including dividend reinvestment, is about 22. percent I'll take that. So so that's okay. So that's okay. Um, but I found it because uh, if you go back to 2009. Um, the world was it was done falling apart but we didn't really know about it at the time you know the the market in the wake of the credit crisis kind of bottomed in uh, in march of 09 and then for the next few years everybody was waiting for the other shoe to drop as the market climbed inexorably higher um but i found winmark at that time because i thought it was a pretty good concept as a recession proof business and so the more things change, the more things stay the same. It kind of feels like that's where we are now. Um, and and so you know, I, I, I thought this was maybe kind of timely to talk about it uh, when you invited me back to the show. Okay. And uh, I will say, it seems like from Nelnet to this, you seem to like companies that are very discreet. And I, I was looking at Winmark. Um, and the only comment, it's a four-page quarterly result, and the only comment is a quote from the CEO that says, we are pleased with our results. So <laughs> it's not the most talkative management team in the world, but no. why don't okay. uh, go, go through, I guess, the, the, okay. what the business me, does, let, various yeah. concepts. Well, first of all, thank you for calling my other picks discreet because one of them, of course, is a publicly traded strip joint company in RCI Hospitality. So um, I don't think I've ever been told that that company is terribly discreet. But moving along. Um, so Winmark, it, it came one of the reasons that it came across my my radar back in the day, and I like it to this day, never sold a share, um, is first off, it's a franchising business. They franchise five different concepts. Okay. Uh, play it against sports. Uh, oh, and, and sorry, and, and and all of these five concepts are all kind of focused on resale of gently used goods, if I can put it that way. So play it again. Sports is used and new sporting goods. You know, um, I'm a skier with my kids. My kids will grow their old skis. I take their old skis to play it against sports, get a few bucks, use that to buy new skis for them. Uh, you can do that with hockey gear, baseball, whatever. Let's play against sports. Uh, Plato's closet is uh, kind of teen and young, young women, women's clothing, more, more of a fun, you know, fun kind of, uh, uh, non-professional style, if you will. Uh, once upon a child is for, uh, gently used, uh, children's clothing and related gear. Um, you may, you may have heard kids kind of grow quickly. Uh, so the, all those wonderful clothes you get for them, they're out of them in three months. You need new stuff. You go sell it at once upon a child, uh, music go round is for musical instruments. You decided you were going to pick, pick up guitar. Then you realized you have no talent for it. Go sell my guitar again. Uh, and then finally style encore, which is, uh, uh, also primarily focused, uh, on women's clothing, but unlike Plato's closet, which is more teen and kind of fun fashion, uh, style encore is more women's business and casual. So kind of the professional, maybe older woman would go to style encore, uh, the younger kind of, you know, going out and uh, more, less professional vocations would go towards Plato's closet. But so those are their concepts. And then they have, but they, they don't actually run the stores. They franchise them. And I love franchising models because the beautiful thing about a franchising model is I sell you a system. I sell you, 
you know, the, the computer system and all the, the pricing info you're going to need. I sell you and, and you go handle taking out the lease for your store and you go handle buying actual buying and selling and putting up the capital to do the actual buying and selling. And you're just going to send me a royalty every month. Three to five percent, I believe, is where Winmark generally uh, prices their uh, their concepts. But you know, these these are basically check cashing machines, right? Like you know, my business, I I I bring in your cash and I cash the check every month, and then you send me another one next month. It's a great business because it allows me to offload the operational risk onto you. Now. Of course, where where my skill set comes in, if I'm Winmark, I have to pick good franchisees. I have to pick people with, you know, the business savvy, the capital to to handle this and to run it. And I, I've actually looked like I uh, the style encore in my town actually came up for sale earlier this year. And uh, I kind of a bit of jokingly, I called them up to see uh, to see what was required if I wanted to buy the franchise from the present uh, franchisee. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about it. I thought it was interesting. That was a little overpriced, but um, but uh, as soon as they said I was not going to be, um, I would just be a an equity purchaser. I would not be running the store. Uh, they shut down the the conversation almost immediately. They're like, we are not interested in investors. We need an owner operator. If you're not going to be an owner operator, thank you for your interest, but we will move along. That there were there was no there was no uh, de- uh, debate there. So anyway, franchise model, concepts that are focused on resale goods, okay? So in a recession, in more tough economic times, you can see how some people might be trading down the, I'm not going to buy new clothes or new sporting goods. Maybe I can save a few bucks by going used. So you, you, you kind of you know get the inherent argument there. But then I actually realized, this. now this is going back to when I found the company. Um, and I believe what what got my attention on the company was the then CEO. That's a guy named John Morgan. Now he Morgan is out now, but the culture he built, um, I believe, persists. So uh, Morgan comes along in around 2000. Okay, and he is appointed uh, chairman slash CEO. I think middle of that year. He immediately goes and buys 13% of the company for $7 a share from the then departing CEO. Uh, the price last I looked was about $220 a share today. So Morgan did okay. He buys 13% of the, of the company from the departing CEO, seven bucks a share. And then from 2000 to 2014, he purchased, and you can go check the veracity of what I'm saying. It's all on the SEC website, all the beautiful form fours, everything. Morgan goes and buys shares on the regular from 2000 to 2014 in the open market, sometimes multiple times a month until he gets up to owning about a third of the company. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's that old aphorism about insiders may sell for many reasons, but they tend to buy for only one. Um, and so, but if I then started doing a little work and looking into, well, well, who is John Morgan? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> and then I found out that he had started a small equipment leasing business uh, in the early 1980s and sold it for an eight-figure personal payday in the late 90s. So it's not like this guy needed the money, right? 
But then I also noticed at the time, or as I'm reading through at the time, Winmark, Winmark had started a small ticket leasing business inside of all of these franchising business. I'm like, oh, okay, this is just John Morgan playing to his strengths, having a little bit of fun. By the way, Morgan is now out. We'll get to that in a minute. But I will say that uh, I think it was last year they announced that uh, they were letting the lease portfolio run off because Morgan's gone now. So they're not doing that anymore. Uh, but there's a little bit of lease stuff still kind of around the edges. Anyway, um, so Morgan, he's CEO for, for 15 years, ballpark. He's buying all the way up. How do you, if you're the CEO of this company and you own a third of the company, how do you make an exit strategy when you are approaching 80, right? And the answer is Winmark, because one reason why I like franchising business, a franchising business make a lot of cash and there's not a lot of, not a lot of like, look, they're low capital and, and generate a lot of cash and low capital required. And so what, what can they do with all the cash they generate? Well, what they've done, one of the things they did was they decided to buy back their own shares. And uh, since I purchased this in 09 to today, I believe they bought back roughly one third of their shares. Okay. But one of the ways they did this was the company would announce a tender offer. And I'm going to make up the prices here. They're, they're rough. They're, 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 the prices are wrong, but the concept is right. So let's say the stock was trading at 150 bucks. Winmark would do a, we're going to buy back X shares at a tender offer. We're willing to pay 140. No one in their right mind, no one who can do basic math is going to say, cool, I can sell on into the open market at 150 or I can sell to the company for 140. Hmm, let me think about this. No one's going to do that, right? So no, no outside shareholders would tender. And then John Morgan would tender all of his shares. Gotcha. So he's selling back to the company kind of at a discount yeah. at a discount. Right. And that's, that's both beneficial to the company and it's beneficial to Morgan. It was a win-win. And, and, and if you, again, you go through the history of John Morgan with Winmark, his almost 20 year history, he was always about the win-win. At least that was my outside perspective. It's a, you know, how can shareholders win? You know, it's what do we call that? Conscious capitalism. We're trying to take care of all stakeholders. You know, I, I thought he did a really good job of that. Uh, and so, so here was Morgan. He finally got out. Uh, I believe he kicked himself up to uh, chairman in 2016. I think he's out in by 2019, 2018. Um, but the people who like the CEO, Brett Heffes, is uh, is his handpicked guy. He was there forever. Um, the CFO has been there since 2008. Uh, president of HR has been there since 95. Um, the franchising president's been there. Similar, like these, there's a lot of long tenured people in there who got the John Morgan experience. And so, what have they done since Morgan's departure? They've continued buying back a bunch of shares. Like I said, they've reduced 32%. But the other thing that's really interesting to me here is, uh, so when I bought it, they didn't pay a dividend. Okay. Like, so back, I bought it in 2009. There's no dividend. Uh, I think my average cost is about 21 bucks a share. 2010, they introduced a dividend, two cents a quarter. Whoop-de-doo. Who cares? Next year, they bump it to three cents a quarter. Next year, they bump it to four cents a quarter. Next year to five. Then I believe it went to seven, then to 10. Uh, I think it got to 15 at some point, but you know, they've continued bumping up. So today it's 70 cents a quarter, $2 and 80 cents a year. 
which is about one and a half percent yield on the present price. But the long-term shareholders have made out like bandits. The other thing they've done is they would declare a series of, remember this is high, generates a lot of cash, not a lot of capital to run the business. They've declared a series of special dividends. And I believe since uh, 2009, since they started doing their dividend, uh, in addition to the dividend, it's gone from two cents a quarter to 70 cents a quarter. Uh, they have paid out, I believe it's $20 and 50 cents in special dividends as well. Uh, so, I mean, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to hold this one. It's been a lot of fun to watch it. And I don't see, a, uh, my biggest fear for this company is actually not to do operationally. My biggest fear for this company was they appointed a board member last year who's a private equity guy. I'm like, oh crap, are they going to sell it to private equity? Cause that'd be a disaster for me in my opinion. But, um, no, it, it's been, it's, it, it's been a real interesting company. And it's, if, if I may be so bold, it's really only the kind of company if you kind of like, you know, you, if you've got that long term, that long term, you know, mindset that long-term mindset of, of dealing with people you trust and i very much trusted uh john morgan and i've i've come to trust uh brett hepps as well uh but uh you know in terms of his his man but you know because i like the fact that he came up under morgan but uh you know morgan is i think john morgan is one of the i believe it's from minnesota one of the great underappreciated um ceo stories success stories i think of of the 2000s like because Unless you unless you know Windmark, no one's ever heard of them. If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast. Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep-dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files. Chit Chat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value. On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy. Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. Right. It doesn't seem like this company is trying to uh, get their stock to pop by juicing adjusted EBITDA. Uh, far from that. I don't think Let's... they report adjusted EBITDA. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So why don't we get some uh, context on the Uden economics? I think people might be interested in getting a few numbers there on, you know, what, they, what are they bringing in in revenue and kind of what are their margins there? And then I guess okay. the next, well, We'll have follow-ups to that too. Let's just start with that. I'm I'm just looking for looking for that part of my spreadsheet. So here, yeah. So um, I don't know specific at the unit economics, the unit level, because again, that's at the franchise level or at the franchisee level, but at the franchisor level, at Windmark's level, um, what I watch is just what's the total royalties plus franchising fees, okay? Um, and so a, uh, a Plato's closet, the average Plato's closet in the most recent year, 2021, uh, brought in just about $55,000 in royalties and, and then spread the, spread whatever, whatever. I think they, they opened a grand total of four stores. So if, if the, uh, in, in, uh, 2021, four of those, uh, Plato's closet stores. So, <clears throat> excuse me. 
if they uh, if they got say forty or fifty thousand dollar fr- initial franchise fee from each one of those, it it doesn't really move the needle that much. But spread that needle across the entire store base, which was 489 stores, play this closet at the end of the year. Um, it's about $55,000 per store in royalties, plus a little kicker for a franchise. Uh, and that's the, that's their highest concept. And, uh, you know, it's also this concept with the, the largest number of stores. Uh, and then Once Upon a Child was about 47,000. Play It Against Sports was just over 46. Style Encore is about 38. And music go round, which is the smallest number of stores, only thirty-seven stores, is uh, about thirty-five thousand bucks um, per year. Uh, but but it's incredibly high margin. Like the the free cash flow margins here are on the uh, that's on a different slide. Let me pull that up. Um, the free cash flow margins here are tend to run along. Oh, da, 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 that's, that's revenue. Here we go. Um, free cash flow margins. Sorry, now it's not uh, working here. Free cash flow margins are low 40s. Oh, wow. You know, uh, 2020 was about 43. Uh, 2021, I think, was about 46, 47. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to argue with that um, because they have so so few costs at the like at the the parent company level so when you know when when i get on average from a from a plato's closet i get 54 55,000 in royalties uh for the year you know 25 to 30 of that's just dropping right to free cash flow um and and the interesting thing is in in 2021 all of their concepts were up about between their, all of their concepts probably averaged up about 30%. Uh, play it against sports was up about 22. Everything else was over 30. Uh, so, you know, they're now a lot of these stores were closed for good chunks of 2020. And we know why, but the, uh, you know, people come back and need to spend on, you know, these things. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what the store level margins are. But I'll argue from a and, and look, they're successful because, you know, they've got 1,293 of these things. And I think they've got another 46 franchises already uh, granted, but uh, they haven't been started yet. And and they claim they have 2,800 um, additional territories that they can award. Um, we'll see. They, they tend to be fairly slow growing, but because but it masks it because they spend all that. They get all this cash coming in and they deploy it in service of shareholders. Uh, I don't really care about what the unit level economics are, the unit level profitability, because as the franchisor, you're paying me off the top. And so I care about your store level revenue and store level revenue. Like I said, 2021 was looks like eh, ballpark 30% up year over year. That's pretty impressive. Uh, I think probably over the longer term, if I make, you know, inflation plus a couple of points at the store level, th- this is this is a home run for Winmark. So that's my that's that's that that's my kind of approach to looking at the store level stuff. I don't worry that much about it, but you know, I, I just want to see it going in the right direction. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I guess it's sound. I mean, I guess the best way to know whether or not the economics are good at the store level is whether the franchisees stick around and they keep growing locations. And it seems like that's the case. Um, in terms of the concept, I guess I kind of want to know a little more because I haven't been into any of these stores. What so you bring in, let's say like play it against sports, you bring in like an old used baseball mitt or something like that. They give you they give you the option for in-store credit or cash. Yep. Is the cash usually at like a discount to the in-store credit? Am I kind of yep. okay? So I think I've got that then. The uh in terms of growth, is Winmark I mean, does Winmark need to grow? What have they grown at? Like historically, you said they got i think it's 1200 something stores all around us and canada what uh yeah the, the store expect? count yeah the store count the last quarter last reported quarter was 1293 okay. um and then um again 46 franchises have been awarded uh but are not um uh, are not yet operational or functional uh and then they've got these massive number of uh of territories that they could grant. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I So I'm going to say something maybe that's a little bit controversial occasionally, but it's actually how I run my investing. Um, and it can be sometimes a little bit, uh, it's counterintuitive. Uh, you guys know, and maybe some listeners, if they remember me, will probably also know, uh, I don't really care about growth that much. Uh, I like growth. Growth is a component of valuation. Of course, growth is should be function uh, factored into anything you look at. But the history of investors wildly overpaying for growth um, is long and painful. And so I don't like playing games I can't win. So, uh, you know, the the number of times I had to sit through some uh, invest investor with uh, less than two years experience, shall we say, in the last few years, uh, preaching at me about the virtues of paying 30 times sales for insert uh, terrible growth company here. Um, those people are awfully quiet nowadays. I'm not too sure why. Um, you, just hate, you just hate innovation, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like money, Ryan. It's funny. I like cash. And so, um, the long run, you know, if, if Winmark gives me three to 6% top line growth a year, and it's probably going to be a little bit higher than that this year, uh, because they, there's built in inflation protection here, right? Like 
you're going to buy that used baseball mitt that that Brett took in, um, you know, they're going to price it higher because they can, uh, because they can price it at whatever the the going inflationary rate is. Um, if you can give me three to six percent annually from Windmark, we're all going to be real happy. And and here's the thing, I, and I, I was actually saying this, of course, my my day gig is uh, Molly Fool uh, talking head. Um, but in, in, I was talking about this on on a show recently, and I'm just like, you know, it, given the choice between um, given the choice between two companies, I'm gonna give you the false dichotomy here. Um, one one company is trading at 50 times sales with revenue growth, say of 40 percent, and another company is trading at you know five times cash flow, growing sales at two or three percent. You know which one has more downside risk like you know if you if sales drop by 50 percent that first stock's going to get destroyed and the second stock's not going to notice right. right and yeah Price and 10. so well i mean like you know if if, if you're expecting two percent growth trading at five percent five five uh five times cash flow do you particularly care if they put up one percent growth which is a 50 percent underperformance from the two percent like you don't care uh, you know, and, and so if you can find these slow top line growers, but that are generating a ton of cash and deploying it in the service of shareholders, meaningful buybacks, not just trying to sop up dilution, but actual real meaningful share repurchases, ideally purchased at good prices. But, you know, that's almost asking for too much. Um, and just steady as she goes and and people, you know, like don't not a lot of uh, not a lot of forced error like like no unforced errors like not not blowing capital just for the sake of blowing capital not building you know giant uh, new H hqs because they can just you know like when winmark is still run out of you know the midwest and you know you give me three five percent a year i'm good man like like on, on the top line because that translates you know uh over the past five years winmark has done about three percent just over three percent annual top line growth uh, but 3.1, but it's, but it's earnings are up or it's, sorry, it's net income is up uh, 11.7 because of operating leverage and their earnings are up 15.6. So that 3% top line turns into 15 plus bottom line growth. And that's because of that share response. And then, and then that translates into, uh, again, it's a very, uh, because it's so cash generative, low capital franchising businesses tend to have to tend to be awarded higher multiples anyway, because the the quality of the cash stream is so high. So you're not you're, you're never going to get Windmark for five times cash flow. Sadly, what if, are, if we did, if we did, I'd probably mortgage my house. <laughs> what uh, what are the costs at the corporate or at the Windmark level? Is it just people? Yeah, that's it. And, you know, rent for your office building. Um, there there is. Uh, uh, there's a little bit of um, like in the most recent quarter, uh, 19 million revenue, uh, 1.2 million of that, 19.1 million revenue, 1.2 million of that is uh, is leasing income. So I mentioned that that runoff lease portfolio, uh, and so there's about 300,000 expenses of that. That's going to go away. So ignore that. But you basically got um, four sources of uh, revenue. You've got royalties, which is by far the largest share. Uh, then you've got uh, merchandise sales because they do actually uh, sell to the store. Sometimes they'll they'll buy and sell into it, and that's that's fine. It's not much, but it's there. 
uh, and then franchise fees, and then the ever popular other revenue. Um, but then costs aside from, you know, there's the cost of merchandise sold. So they've got some sales, they sell to the stores, they buy some of the goods It go, it flows, it, it flows through Windmark's income statement. Um, they're not making much premium on whatever they buy just to sell into their franchises. You know, they look like they're maybe making 5%, who cares? Um, the franchise fees, of course, are pure cash, pure gravy. Um, the ever popular other is just whatever that is. Um, and by far their largest, um, their largest expense is basically just, you know, SGNA and SGNA is your rent, your people, and then whatever you need to get those people, you know, to, you know, your computers and whatever. But, um, it's, it, it is a very, it's a very high quality cash stream in the right hands. And I happen to think that this, this group is in the right hands. Right. And we're going to talk, cause you mentioned the importance of capital allocation uh, and management. We're going to hit that at the end again. Uh, but one more question on, I guess the industry and the specific business model people are, well, I guess there's the debate about whether we're in a recession, but either way, That's the economy, what, what a recession is. Yeah. Uh, the economy is slowing down. Let's put it like that compared to 2021. Um, we're definitely in a, at least in the short run, uh, or at least for the last year or so, been in a stagflation environment. And mm -hmm. looking at Windmark, it seems like this is the ultimate insulator from stagflation because, uh, and this might be a weird comparison, this feels similar to Visa and MasterCard where uh, volumes might grow, their costs are going to go up and all the expenses and all the input costs, they might be at the uh, the franchisee level. Is that how you think about it? Where they're super insulated from any sort of inflation, any sort of input costs, all that stuff? Yes. It's my shortest answer ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, look, there's no, there's no, um, there's no real, there's no reason why they can't pass along. Like if, if, if Ryan's used baseball mitts are now 10% higher or inflation is 10% higher, there's no reason why I can't price it at 10% higher at the store level. And again, as the franchisor, I'm going to encourage you to price things. You know, you've got pricing power because people are already uh, downshifting. I mean, you know, in a high, in a, in a high inflationary environment, and we've, we're currently in the highest inflationary environment we've seen since, you know, well, 40 years ago. Um, people are already feeling strain. We've seen that from retailers across the spectrum of late, you know, Walmart, Target, say hi. Um, people are already trading down to used goods or willing to go to consignment goods. And these guys, have five really well okay four plus music go round i suppose i don't mean the dog on music go round but it's kind of irrelevant um but they've, they've got five high quality concepts where you can actively trade down and if prices are 10 percent higher because inflation has dictated prices be 10 percent higher you're still going there because you're looking for the deal so a high inflationary environment my perspective is that it's you know, in high inflationary environment, I think these guys can weather it. Recessionary environments, I think it actually sends more people in the direction of these types of businesses um, than would otherwise be there in, you know, wonderfully uh, growth times, wonderful growth times. The other thing is, you know, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to join you in kind of um, 
I don't mean to to dismiss the pain that recession can mean for for some people. I, I don't. That's not my intent. But as an investor, and I have to bring an investor's perspective here. Um, did you guys miss at the start of this show? And this is not for my own notification. It's just for a uh, as an example. I bought this at a time when we were just past a recession or certainly a, a major financial crisis. Everyone was looking to fight the last war. Everyone was waiting for the next shoe to drop. Um, uh, Morgan Housel, who I know you guys know, I mean, he says, you know, he's got a, he's got a slide in one of his uh, one of his decks that he'll when he gives presentations, showing the stock market all the you know up up and to the right, and he overlays it with um, headlines, you know, um, uh, World War end of two thousand. <laughs> Yeah, you know, end of end of 2010, the easy money's been made. End of 2011, the easy money's been made. End of 2012, the easy money's been made. And so all the way up is, you know, people are looking to fight the last war. And and so I bought this at a time when recessionary fears were real. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful investment. And, you know, and my point of this is, you know, you don't realize it at the time. Or you're not gonna you're not gonna fully grok it at the time, if I may use a uh, a sci-fi term there. Um, but the the things that the the companies that you buy well during times of recessionary fears are probably going to be among among the best, if not the best, investments you are going to make in your lives. And you know, Winmark for me, I mean, you know, I'm closing in on what 14, 15 years now of 22 plus annualized returns. Um, I think that's okay. And I, and I bought a meaningful stake. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with the, the results there, but moreover, I look today at this company, I see no reason it's going to, that the, the, the gravy train is going to fall off. They've got lots of room for growth. I don't particularly care about fast growth. As I said, you give me three to 6% annually, I'm laughing. Um, and management has a demonstrated track record both under Morgan and now under Brett Hefts, of doing intelligent things for shareholders with the money they generate. What is not to love? And so I, and like I mentioned too, like that dividend's gone from two cents a quarter to 70 cents a quarter. It's still only about, I'm in a ballpark, it's only about 25% of their free cash flow. Like, if you think that dividend is done rising, I will, uh, I will take the other side of that bet. I think that that 70 cent a quarter dividend, there's no reason it's not a dollar, dollar fifty in five years. And you may opinion. have uh you may have mentioned this, but I don't know if I caught it. What's the yield on that right now? Just kind of give any uh, it's that. about one and a half. This, <clears throat> this is actually one of those conundrums, right? Because like, are you a dividend investor or are you a dividend growth investor? Because uh, you know, of course, you know, where 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 my day job is, uh, the Motley Fool, we've got, you know, various products for various people. Uh, what, uh, some, some of them are a dividend investor product. And, you know, and we've kind of put this in front of people and said, you know, do you want like a, do you want a high yield now? You're like four or 5% now, or are you okay with 1% now? But, you know, the, the company has a history of just jacking their dividend every year, such that it might be 1% today, but in 10 years, you know, at the rate they're increasing it, and Winmark is one of these. I've got a few other tickers in mind. Um, you know, in five years, the yield on your on your purchase price today is going to be north of ten. Yeah. Like, 
And, and it's funny, the number of people like, no, no, we, I want to get paid now. And I'm like, oh, we, we can do that. Um, but, uh, may like I said, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you know, something, you know, something that is, well, okay. On, on my cost basis, this is what 14%. Right. And uh, sadly for me personally, mine's in a taxable account. So, you know, if I did sell it, I'd, I'd be writing a nice check to revenue Canada. Um, but until then, um, you know, I'm quite happy to take, take the proceeds. And, and people say, well, you know, it's not, you shouldn't think of it that way. I'm like, yeah, I, I understand the financial textbook argument is no, the yield is the yield today at this moment. Um, but, but, you know, the psychological impact of saying, yeah, I'm getting 14% of my money back every year and it'll probably be 15, 20% within a couple of years. Oh, and they throw a special dividend at me. And oh, by the way, they've bought back a third of their shares in the past decade. And so they're just, the share price is getting ratcheted up as well. Um, oh, and it's still, you can still get this company for well under a billion dollars. Like all of these things have me going, like by the time Main Street notices this story, it's been a multi, multi bagger for the people who have been in for the long term. Okay. Two part question. What, what does the valuation kind of look like today? And then what? It sounds like there's really only two places for them to allocate capital because it doesn't really seem like investing internally doesn't really – there's not really anywhere to invest as the franchisor. So I guess it's dividends, either recurring or special, and then repurchases. Which do you like to see them allocate the most to or is it – do you like sort of the blend of all three? And then kind of could you give context sure. for valuation? Okay. Um, Valuation-wise – Feel free to run your own DCF. They got about 41, 41.3 million trailing free cash flow, my estimate. You can run it out. Uh, I think you'll be, it, it, you, you don't have to, you don't have to take heroic assumptions to meet today's share price. Number one. Uh, if you prefer multiples, I can perhaps scare you by telling you it's trading at 10 and a half times revenue. And I throw, I throw that number out deliberately. Um, because the reality is um, because it's such a high margin cash flow stream, the, the price to revenue, first of all, I've always hated price to revenue. I hate, I've hated it. And it was barely ever used before three years ago. Can't imagine why again. Um, But it's, 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 it's among the more useless um, valuation metrics in my opinion. Uh, It's trading right now. Uh, with a with a price to earnings ratio just just a tad over twenty, it's trading uh, enterprise value to free cash flow ratio just a tad over twenty times, um, which is cheaper than it's been in year and a half. Uh, we'd never call it conventionally cheap, but it's you know it's it's from its own history, it's on the um, in the in the last five years aside from pandemic bottom which we'll throw that out because that was a weird time for everybody um it's on the lower it's in the lower third of its range i think lower 40 percent of its historical range but uh, it's never gonna you know if you're if you're looking to buy this one for five times cash flow good luck uh you're gonna wait a long time um i am i'm actually fine with the valuation today the there's actually i'm gonna say there's three things these guys can do with their cash you've hit the first two dividend regular plus special uh, buybacks. Um, 
They've also, uh, they, they don't mind taking on a bit of debt sometimes to kind of front run their, their repurchase plans. Like, so I mentioned earlier when, when John, uh, John Morgan was, you know, the only participant or the only participant of size, um, going into some of these below market tender offers the company was throwing out. Um, you know, quite often they just, they tap their credit line. They've got a good relationship with their, with their financiers. Um, they just tap the credit line or, or, or whatever and they buy back stocks and then they, you know, they, they take their foot off the gas pedal of, of share buybacks for a couple of quarters, pay down the debt, bring the leverage back well below, uh, well below one times net debt to free cash flow. And then maybe they ramp it up again. So right now they're actually in a ramp up phase. Uh, their, their, uh, leverage as of the most recent quarter is about, 1.6 times uh, net debt to free cash flow is kind of how I measure their leverage. Uh, so their net debt, most recent quarter is about 66.7 million, trailing free cash flow 41.3. Uh, 1.6 is it's in the higher end for them. Uh, certainly the the but but it's not the highest. Uh, they got up to two and a half, almost three times uh, net debt to free cash flow during the John Malone um, tender offers, a couple there. And then there's John Morgan. Sorry, Morgan, John Malone. Malone. <laughs> I was yeah, like, wait, John Malone's part thank of you. this? Go ahead, cut that. Let's go back there. Yeah, no, the Malone doesn't have any part of this that I know of. Um, yeah, no, John Morgan. Uh, so, you know, at, at 1.6, it, it's certainly been almost double that before. Um, I wouldn't complain if they took a couple of quarters, as they've done in the past, throw the cash flow on the on the, the 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 credit line get it back below one and then kind of you can go off to the races again um so that doesn't bother me uh one of the other uses for capital they they did have to your to your point ryan was was morgan's little uh small ticket lease business hobby he was doing inside windmark uh that's gone so yeah i mean uh, absent paying down debt and the only reason they take on debt is to buy back shares or pay a special dividend uh, absent running the debt down, which again, they've done multiple times in the past and are very easy for them to do. Really the only thing they could do is pay dividends or, or, or buy back shares. And as mentioned, since I own my shares personally in a taxable account, I kind of like the buybacks right now, to be honest with you, because yeah. that way I'm not paying taxes on it, but you know, that's, that's a nice problem to have, right? I mean, you know, no tag days for me, I suppose. Okay, let's talk any risks. The first thing that came to mind, and I'm not well versed in this company, but I kind of thought, is there any online threat here? Is that the thing uh, that's maybe going to defeat them? Uh, I know you probably have a strong rebuttal to that. But I know investors' minds, they might think, oh, what if there's some like threat up, which we looked at that business, and that is a strange business model, to put it lightly. But that's besides the point for this question. What could go wrong here? What is, are the risks to this business? Is model? Goodwill their biggest competitor? Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I think Goodwill might be aiming a little lower than these guys are. Um, but yeah, um, my fear of an online threat is not high. First off, uh, um, Etsy bought, uh, I don't remember the name of the music group that Deep Etsy pop. bought. No, no. Uh, not deep uh, reverb or something Reverbs. yeah it was reverb yeah, yeah. Uh, oh is that you know, for the music, that, music side yeah for music yeah. i mean that i can see that being a bit of a competitor to to musical round although again like i said i think they've got 37 musical rounds it's not a growth engine 
um, that's really once upon a child play those closet and, um, uh, played against sports. Are there, are there, they're in demand concepts. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of what people want in this space, if you're willing to go consignment, uh, what you want, you want to be able to go touch the product. You want to see the product. Like I, I've, I have been a, uh, shall we say frequent customer of, uh, back in the day at once upon a child. I have two kids and now both teenagers. So that's, you know, um, we don't go there anymore, but, uh, I spent one or two dollars there in the past. And then the other thing is, is played against sports as they turn into teenagers and, you know, you know, get into hockey, get into skiing, get into swimming, get into gymnastics. Yeah. You, you go by what played against sports because it's a, it's a, uh, it's an attractive, uh, value proposition versus like, I, I can't imagine buying, um, I can't imagine buying, you know, certain ski gear online, sight unseen, uh, not touching it, not trying it on, not have, I, I, that might show my age and, uh, relative lack of tech savvy. And that's fine. Um, but I, I look at this and go like, this is not Home Depot where, you know, no one is about to go buy, um, you know, a couple houses worth of drywall from Amazon rather than going to Home Depot. You know, like, like you, you know, I don't care about free shipping from Amazon. I, I, I need 500 square feet of drywall. I'm not ordering online. I'm, bu- I'm buying it, you know, from Home Depot. Uh, I, you know, these guys don't have that level of, uh, anti online moat, but I think they got a pretty good one. And so I, I'm not worried about that. Truthfully, um, my biggest risks here are kind of twofold. One is they stop kind of being, because Morgan's now been gone from the top job CEO for five years, maybe more, actually. Uh, he was chairman for a few more years after that, but he was clearly transitioning out. And look, the man, I believe, is 80 now, or he's close to it he's allowed to retire, right? Like, it's, that's cool. But, you know, uh, it wouldn't be the first company where when the tone setter leaves, the people left behind kind of change how things are going. So far, that has not been the story at when Mark Brett Hefts really came up under John Morgan and and seems to have, you know, preserving that culture seems to have been uh, paramount on their list. Uh, but I, you know, it doesn't mean it can't change going forward. So that's something to watch. And the other thing, like I mentioned, is um, their most recent, I think it's the most recent, uh, a recent board edition um, is a private equity guy. And that bothers me. Is there anyone else that's important to this? Uh, I saw some names on the proxy that owned a lot of stock. I think Olson was one. And then you mentioned the private equity group. Yeah, Olson, uh, Olson's an outside shareholder, uh, also from Minnesota. Uh, I suspect it might be just, uh, much like with Nelnet, where their entire board is stocked with, Nelnet, of course, is based in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, their entire board is stocked with local, you know, business luminaries from Lincoln, Nebraska. I, I suspect that, uh, uh, that Olson is kind of there because he is, uh, I think CEO of Sportsman's Guide, which is basically an outdoors catalog company. Um, but I think he probably owns it because local business. Uh, he owns about 12%. Um, the, uh, Morgan is pretty much out at this point. Um, uh, and I know that, 
looking here. Oh, there is. Oh, hang on here. I'm I'm looking at a complete uh, completely different area on Cap IQ here. So we'll we'll flip it over. Sorry, these things are kind of uh, um, occasionally not uh, not well scripted. Um, I'm just trying to get the board of directors up for um, for Winmark here. Uh, just looking here. The gentleman who just came on is um, Percy Tomlinson. Uh, he is the operating partner at Blue Wolf Capital Partners. Um, and so they do tend to uh, talk about um, this, this Blue Wolf Capital Partners. They, they do seem to be more debt-focused or workouts or turnarounds, which is not Winmark. Um, so maybe he's just there, but it, it does concern me a little bit that, um, that that guy got added to the board because, um, not a Minnesota guy, um, not a, uh, not a local business type, just, you know, he, he, he might be there just as a, you know, as a sop to maybe they got overtures from, from this. this I, I, we don't know, obviously in the company, I'll never tell us. Uh, but you know, the, um, some of the other companies I, I, when I've introduced them, when I've made recommendations on them at Hidden Gems Canada, um, I, I I've kind of said, you know, look, these, um, you want to be aware of, of where some of these people are coming from and you want to keep an eye on valuations These are like retail concepts or whatever, because, you know, like, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm not looking for super high growth because super high growth often comes with a super high valuation. Uh, but like, uh, a, a name like contour brands, for example, contour brands is the parent company that does Lee and Wrangler jeans, you know, um, that company does about 300 million ballpark a year free cash flow very slow growing but it's kind of a 300 million dollar a year perpetuity and so anytime the valuation of that company dips kind of below well take 300 million divide by 0.10 as a discount rate a perpetuity valuation or or 0.9 whatever your discount rate assumption is if the valuation of that company dips below the perpetuity valuation i'm kind of like yeah you've just put up a red light for private equity to kind of come chase you uh because you know you maybe investors don't appreciate like, like retail investors might not appreciate a, you know, a slow growing, you know, firm with perpetuity like cash flows. But you know, who really does appreciate those things is, is the private equity set. Cause they understand that, Oh, well we can just buy that and, you know, cut off the dividend, take all the money for ourselves, lever it three to one and, you know, tea and metals all around at that point. Um, so, you know, I, my biggest fear for Winmark is that this Blue Wolf Capital is kind of kind of the first foray into maybe it going away. I hope I'm wrong. Brett Haps, yeah. if you're listening, I hope you're wrong. Or I hope I'm wrong. It's not like I know it sounds like a good problem to have where like, oh, they they get bought out and maybe you have to pay taxes on some money you make. But I've kind of grown to appreciate this now. We had a company that we thought was going to be a durable compound for a long time. It got bought out for a tiny premium. Like you want those things to just to, to make your life easier, just to be an easy owner of something for 10 years. Like that's. And you have to replace the asset. Yeah. 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 My minus 25, 30% for your capital gains. Oh, you guys are Americans. So you, you know, whatever your capital gains rate is 15 or whatever, but 
a little more complicated up here in uh, in the Great White North. So, you know, it's I've I've got to I've got to replace the capital I had. I lose a nice dividend stream, and I got to go find something else to buy with this. And I'm probably not going to like it as much as I like Windmark. Right. So, I, I I like a good buyout. Look, I mean, I the uh, the but I like the buyouts to be much much larger. Or um, like you know, so like. Uh, Activision Blizzard versus Microsoft. Ah, uh, you know, there's probably some money to be made, assuming that'll close, because uh, I think Microsoft's buying them for mid '90s or something. Yeah, yeah. there's pretty good arbitrage there. there. Yeah, yeah, there's a decent arbitrage there. Uh, probably less of a decent arbitrage at Twitter, but that's a whole other story. Um, or or something like uh, when Teladoc took Lavongo. I mean, Lavongo was Lavongo was priced generously. And Livongo or um, Teladoc paid up for them, and I think have uh, come to regret that decision yeah. today. Um, so, but uh, yeah, that the win, win mark, I would, I would be, I would be very put out if uh, if they went away anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, any more questions on Winmark? I think we covered pretty much all the bases uh, for listeners that haven't followed you yet but want to keep up with you what's the best place to do that and then can you maybe this is a good time to plug your uh sure as well yeah you got to throw a plug in uh yeah so i'm uh, i've been with the motley pool for 17 years um i uh currently run uh our small cap investing newsletter called hidden gems canada which is uh 50 canadian picks and 50 american picks uh, uh one of the reasons for that is uh Canada is about 3% of the world's equity markets. And so we say, we say to our members like you know, you need to go outside of Canada to get truly like, there's lots of great companies in Canada. Don't get me wrong, but there's lots of great companies in the rest of the world. And you shouldn't constrain yourself to like 3% of the world's equity markets, particularly an equity market that does tend to be very resource heavy, uh, which is great now, but it wasn't great for years. Uh, very resource heavy, very financials heavy. Uh, so we do like to go into uh, U.S. holdings as well. Like we say, we do about 50 percent and we tell people, look, don't worry about the currency conversion because, you know, currency is going to do what's going to do. You have no control. This is by great companies and sit around. Um, and so I, I am the lead advisor and pretty much do everything guy on that. Uh, and then I'm one third of the uh, investment uh, team that's overseeing Dividend Investor Canada. Uh, I occasionally contribute to Stock Advisor Canada or any number of the other backends that Motley Fool Canada has on offer. Um, you know, and, and that's a lot of fun. But so, so pretty much you can find me around Fool Canada, Fool.ca, but uh, Hidden Gems Canada is definitely the, um, the, the place where I hang my hat the most. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, if folks want to reach out to me at some point, I can probably find uh, uh, links for uh, new member pricing as well. Just so you can kind of come in, don't pay the full freight. And, uh, you know, um, you can at least decide if if I'm and the Molly Fool, if my stock picking style matches what you're looking for. Uh, so you can hit me at uh, jgillies at fool.com. Uh, the other thing is, um, uh, you know, we... Uh, we also hang out if you're if you're a, a member to any Motley Fool service, you have access to um, uh, to Fool Live, and I'm on there a couple times a week, usually in the morning show, uh, flapping my gums. And then the third thing is you can find me on Twitter, which is at Jim P Gillies. So, and but it's got you know, the, uh, this is the Boba Fett picture that's up there. Yeah, right now I think it's some. Uh, I th- I 
Yeah, you might get more Star Wars than you're expecting. More Star <laughs> Wars and less investing content on Twitter. Or I'm just, you know, uh, I, I, I've been prone to ranting about Canadian housing markets of late. So you might get, you know, to, to Twitter is what Twitter is. And that's in no way affiliated with The Motley Fool. That's just me riffing. So. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Thank you all for listening in. We want to remind you that Brett and I are not financial advisors. That anything we say or discuss here on Church Out Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital, though, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thanks, Jim, again for coming on. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 